and I'll we'll look at the map to begin with, and I'll lead it up, leave it up here so that you can kind of go back to it as we talk through this. But of course, it begins here in Antioch of Syria, as did the, all of the missionary journeys. And this time, instead of sailing, he uh, goes by land through Syria and Cilicia. And of course, you know he went through Tarsus, his home city, though it does not mention that. Um, he crosses over one mountain range in order to get to Cilicia. And then he passes over yet another mountain range to get to Derby. Uh, Lystra, Iconium, and uh, Antioch and Pisidian. Uh, then he, uh, he was forbidden by the Holy Spirit from preaching in Asia Minor, uh, and so he um, heads northwest. Uh, the Bible says coming up to Mysia, not shown on this map, but Mysia would be right in here, but intending he wanted to go into Bithynia, but the Holy Spirit again forbade him from going there, so they pass by Mysia and go to Troas. And in Troas, you know, he has the, the vision of the man from Macedonia calling them, and so they sail from Troas to Macedonia. They land first at uh, Samothrace, uh, an island about halfway between Troas and Neapolis. And then they come to Neapolis, which was the a port city of Macedonia and the, and the gateway, so to speak, to Philippi. If you were going to Philippi uh, from anywhere over in here, you would likely go that way. And so they, they go inland to Philippi, and we'll talk about that. Leaving Philippi, they come down to... Uh, 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 Amphipolis, Apollonia, and then to Thessalonica, right here, and then to Berea, and then from, uh, from there he goes down to uh, Athens, and then from Athens he goes to Corinth. Leaving Corinth, he goes to the little seaport town of uh, and from there he sails over to Ephesus where he uh, stays just a short period of time and then from there he sails down to uh, uh, Caesarea. And it says from Caesarea he went up to, uh, uh, here's Caesarea, went up to uh, Jerusalem. Um, well, we'll talk, well, let me go ahead and say that, I may forget it. It's going up in elevation for one thing. Also, Jerusalem is the capital of Palestine, so uh, you'd speak of it, I understand the English people talk about going up to London, because it's, uh, uh, and it may be in that sense, but likely also in the sense that Jerusalem is about 2,200 and something feet above sea level. Uh, Antioch, on the other hand, his uh, ultimate uh, goal to reach is about only a little over 200 feet above sea level. And so most anywhere in this region, when you went to Jerusalem, you were going up in elevation, except in Hebron and some of those other areas. So anyway, that is the, uh, on the map, that is uh, 
Now let me show you another one that gives a little more detail. Um, one, one thing in particular. There's Missia that we talked about. Uh, it, it's going to mention him going through uh, Phrygia and Pisidia. And that's right here. They, those two regions were close together. In fact, if you've done much reading, you've probably discovered that some, some writers talk about Antioch of Pisidia. Others talk about Antioch in relation to Phrygia, uh, Phrygia because it's, uh, they, were, they were very, very close together. And that's, that's the uh, story about that. It's kind of interesting. I don't know a lot about geography, and I didn't dig deep into that, but it was kind of, kind of interesting. A little, little more detail in some ways, but I like the other one because it kind of gives you a prettier picture. <laughs> okay. Let's get into the, uh, uh, the journey itself. The third missionary journey is, is recorded in, in, chap, in beginning in chapter 15, verse 36 of Acts and concludes in chapter 18, verse 22. So if you want to open your Bibles to chapter 15, verse, uh, verse 36, uh, kind of follow along with me as I, as I go along on the narrative this morning. Occasionally I'll mention a particular verse, and that'll kind of let you know where we are in the Scripture at the time. We don't have time to read this verse by verse as, as we go through. But you recall that... Uh, uh, they returned from their first missionary journey in chapter 14, verse 28, and they reported to the church there in Antioch all that God had done with them, about all who had believed, both uh, uh, Jews and Greeks, when they preached in Cyprus and in, and in uh, Antioch and, 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 uh, and Iconium and Lystra and Derby. All those places are in modern-day Turkey. And so... Uh, while they were there in Antioch, following that first missionary journey, we have those people coming up from Jerusalem that we talked about last week, you know, uh, teaching that except you uh, Gentiles are circumcised, they cannot be saved. And, that, and, and it, we read that Paul and Barnabas had no small contention with them. They argued about that or discussed that. And uh, it was decided that probably it would be good for, for Paul and Barnabas along with some others to go to Jerusalem. We talked about that Jerusalem conference last week, which is recorded in Acts chapter 15. They, uh, um, they were, Paul and Barnabas were warmly received by the church there and by the elders and, and the apostles. And, uh, and uh, after, some, after Paul and Barnabas had related what God had, had done with them on that trip, um, the, uh, it, it appears that the apostles and elders and Paul and Barnabas and those with him kind of separated themselves and, and met and uh, Peter spoke uh, about what God had done with him, you, you remember, at the household of Cornelius and uh, how that uh, those, he, he had been shown by God that those, he should baptize those people even without circumcision. Paul and Barnabas related again what God had done with them. And in particular, the, uh, the uh, statement is made how that, he had, uh, that, that God had performed signs and wonders with them. Now, the reason he mentions that, I'm sure, not only he, it was their preaching, 
that, that resulted in, believe, in them believing and, and obeying the gospel through baptism. But signs and wonders to, to, to demonstrate that God was with them, that God was uh, confirming their word and confirming the things that they were doing by performing those miracles. And then uh, uh, James, the Lord's brother, stands up and, and, and one piece of the puzzle had not yet been specifically spoken to. I think I mentioned to you last week the Jews had a great regard for the Bible, although they for the Old Testament, uh, although they didn't always believe it or follow it. But uh, uh, you could talk to them about experiences, what had happened, but unless you could show them that what was happening was the fulfillment of God's law, then, then they had a hard time accepting it. So James addressed that. and In essence, he, he talked about how that all that had happened, all that had happened with regard to Peter and Cornelius' household, all that was happening with Barnabas and Saul, uh, and Paul and their preaching, and, and, and Gentiles believing and obeying the gospel was the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. He speaks specifically about the tabernacle, a tent of David being restored, and, and, the, and Amos' prophecy that, that the Gentiles would be included here, you know. So that kind of tied up in a in a neat package, as we'd say, and everybody remained silent. That didn't mean everybody accept, accepted, but they, for the time being, there, there, there was a, a, they, they, those who uh, opposed and would still oppose were quiet. And, um, and, and James said, we ought to do only this, not require the Gentiles that they should obey the law, but only this, remind them and exhort them that they should abstain from what? Pollutions of idols, from uh, blood, and from fornication. Those were the great sins of the, of the pagan world. And, uh, and people coming out of that background would have a propensity, would have a long-time practice of either, if not involving themselves in those things, being very familiar, familiar with them and, and no doubt family relations. So that would be something difficult for them to overcome. And so the, the, the exhortation would be abstain from the pollutions of idols. This didn't have anything to do with the law. This was, uh, uh, this was true outside the law. And so they, they go back to, uh, to uh, Antioch of Syria. They report on what had happened there. And... Um, and everybody is uh, excited, especially the Jews are excited about it. Then in verse 36 of chapter 15, uh, Paul uh, suggests that they go back and visit the cities and the churches that they had established on their first trip, and Barnabas agreed, but he wanted to take with them John Mark. Uh, uh, Paul did not want to take him with them because you recall he had left them, departed from them, and not, had not gone on with them on the first trip as they uh, came to Perga, of Pamphylia. And uh, so there was rather a, a sharp mis disagreement between the two of them about taking John Mark to the extent that they separated. It may, uh, Barnabas... Uh, he was by nature, you know, we've already learned, a, a son of consolation, of comfort and encouragement. By nature, may, may have been one that was always giving a person a chance, but also it may have been because 
the idea, the uh, evidence is that John Mark was, uh, was a, a relative of his. And, but for whatever reason, they couldn't come together on that, and so they separated. And uh, Barnabas took John Mark, and they sailed to Cyprus. The idea was to go back and visit the churches. So I guess the, the compromise was, Paul, you take John Mark, and you go to Cyprus, and revisit the work that we've done there. I'll take Silas and we'll go in an opposite direction. I want to say this before leaving there. It shows that people, brethren, can differ about things in the, you know, about expediency, and uh, sometimes even sharply, but they ought to be able to do that. Paul and Barnabas, they couldn't come together, but they didn't remain enemies, and they didn't try to tear each other down. Uh, and interestingly, Paul eventually came around to John Mark. John Mark apparently uh, 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 redeemed himself even in the, in the eyes of, uh, of the uh, Apostle Paul. Um, during his first uh, minis- uh, imprisonment in Rome, he mentions to Philemon, uh, he mentions John Mark as being a fellow laborer. Uh, to the Colossians, during his second imprisonment, he writes to Timothy, Take Mark and bring him with you, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. 2 Timothy 4 and verse 11. He also uh, maintained good feelings about Barnabas. But if there was for a moment a kind of a rift between them, that soon faded away because he speaks favorably of Barnabas. For example, in, in 1 Corinthians 9 and, uh, and verse 6. So Paul, uh, Barnabas and Mark, sail for Cyprus. Paul takes Silas with him, who was one of the church leaders in Jerusalem, you remember, who along with one called Judas was selected to accompany Paul and his people back to Antioch. They took with them the letter that they had composed uh, together. And they not only had the letter, but these men from Jerusalem by mouth would also verify what had gone on there and what uh, the truthfulness of the letter. So, so Paul and Silas start this second journey, and they journey overland, overland. Um, as I mentioned a while ago, they go, they go through Syria and then Cilicia, crossing a, a, a one range of mountains to get into Cilicia, and then crossing a second range of mountains to uh, arrive at Derby and uh, Lystra. Um, Luke in Acts gives us no details about their work in Syria and Cilicia. He says only that they strengthened the churches as they traveled there. So they, they did visit some churches and they did do things to strengthen them in the faith, but he doesn't give any details. And one of the reasons seems to be that uh, he's, he's, he's hurrying us along in this journey to uh, Derby and, and, and uh, Lystra, where Paul meets up again with a young man named what? Timothy. Um, he had likely met Timothy and mentored him and no doubt baptized him. 
uh, on his first trip. Uh, here's what's said about him in, in verses 1 and 2 of, uh, of chapter 16. Then he came down into Derby and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, son of a believing Jewess, but of a Greek father who was well attested by the brethren in Lystra and uh, Iconium. Um, so he was not only thought well of in Derby, his hometown, but also in Lystra, who, that was real close to Derby. I don't know if you're all familiar with my hometown, Tallahassee, but you have West Tallahassee and then there's the river. You cross the bridge into East Tallahassee. I don't know that Derby and Lister were quite that close, but we had to have not only a good name in West Tallahassee, but a good name in East Tallahassee as well. But uh, he not only had a good name in Derby and Lystra, but also in Iconium, which was some, some uh, distance um, away. Um, it seems that uh, his mother and his grandmother had preceded him in believing the gospel and obeying the gospel. Uh, Paul says uh, uh, that uh, he talks about his mother. He, you remember, I think, and he says, I remember your, the unfeigned faith that dwelt first in your mother uh, and your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice, and now in you as well. So apparently they preceded him in faith and in, in their faith and their encouragement along with other Paul was a great uh, help and source of his uh, obeying the gospel as well. Um, you might remember that on his first missionary journey in Lystra, uh, Paul was stoned and drug outside the city and left for dead. It's very likely that Timothy uh, was a witness of that and there because of something that, uh, because of something that Paul said later. You, Paul said to Timothy, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord has rescued me. So, uh, Timothy uh, had... had, had he had observed what happened uh, to Saul, uh, to Paul, uh, as he preached the gospel. Uh, Paul considered Timothy his son in the gospel. He wrote to the Philippians in chapter 2 and verse 20, he said, I have no one like-minded with me who will naturally care for your state. So he, there, there was a very close relationship between uh, Paul and Timothy. And so Timothy joins Paul and Silas uh, on their ministry and goes with them from here. Something very interesting, curious happens here. We're told that Paul circumcised Timothy. Uh, remember now, Timothy's father was a Greek. His mother was a Jew. Um, as far as the Jews in Asia Minor concerned, were concerned, those in that vicinity, uh, uh, Timothy was a Jew, and he was one who did not respect the Jewish heritage. 
because he had not been circumcised. I have read that Orthodox, uh, Orthodox Jews even today believe um, that, uh, that the that Jewish, the, uh, what am I trying to say, that, that, that it comes through the mother, whether one is a Jew or not. I have not read a lot about that, so I don't know how truthful that is, or, or whether it was true back then, or, or whether back then some had that feeling. But whether it was or not, it's no doubt that some would, would, would that would be a problem uh, with some, particularly Jews. Now, remember, uh, Paul would not knuckle under and have Titus circumcised, but it's a different circumstance. They were demanding that he circumcise Titus uh, because of this, this debate that was going on about the need for Gentiles to be circumcised in order to be saved. That was not an issue here. But what was an issue, what might become an issue, was uh, uh, Timothy not being, uh, he says because of the Jews, Paul had him circumcised. Because of the Jews. So he didn't want this to be a stumbling block to, their, uh, to any people who might hear them preach. And since it was not being, uh, an issue was not being made of whether or not it was a matter of salvation, Paul uh, uh, circumcised him. Um, and uh, something else I want to say about it, but it's not coming to me right now, but maybe it will in a minute. But anyway, um, oh, I know. Also, if, if he was not circumcised, then Timothy couldn't, if they entered into a synagogue, he couldn't speak there. So it, there, was some, there were just some practical reasons. And, it, and, and I think one lesson here, especially for, for those who want to preach the gospel in foreign areas, different cultures, and so forth. The importance of accommodating oneself as much as possible to the things that are, are part of that culture where you don't have to sacrifice truth in order that people will be more uh, readily acceptable to the gospel. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, they next proceed to churches in the region of, uh, in the region of Galatia and, and Phrygia. Uh, uh, Phrygia. Uh, again, this is that area. Oh, man. This thing is timed out. I don't know what you can do about that. Okay. Wife's apple pie. <laughs> okay. Uh, remember, this is this is the. Uh, so we talked about Phrygia and Galatia would be in that area there where they, after leaving uh, Derby, Lystra, Iconium, and, and no doubt um, uh, Antioch, they travel through Lystra. I rather through Galatia and Phrygia, and they'll mention more about that later. And all it says about that is, as they went on their way, this is chapter 16 and verse 4, as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered 
uh, to them for observance the discussions that had been reached by the apostles and elders that were in Jerusalem. So they, uh, in keeping with what they had agreed to do, everywhere Paul went, uh, especially among the Gentiles, he would, he would warn them about pollutions of idols, about blood, uh, and by implication, things strangled, and by and, and, uh, fornication. Okay, uh, he was forbidden, as we said, he was forbidden to preach uh, in Asia, he, so he, he, he started traveling up toward Mysia, and, and wanting to go into Bithynia, he was forbidden from doing that, so they come down to, to uh, Troas over here. Um, and in Troas, he has the vision of the man from Macedonia. Uh, come and help us. And Paul, he says, immediately, verse 10 of chapter 16, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And so, uh, as just a kind of a sidelight, uh, at this point in the, in the narrative, uh, the use of the first person pronoun uh, we indicates that Luke, that Luke is with them at this point. Maybe, maybe he joined them there at Troas. But it, wherever he joined them, uh, he's with them at, at that particular point. Um, so, the group sails from Troas, to the small island of Samothrace, uh, and then to Neapolis on the Greek uh, coast. Uh, Neapolis, as I said earlier, I believe, is a seaport, was a seaport of Macedonia and a landing place for those who were going to visit Philippi. And then they made their way to the Roman colony of Philippi and stayed there uh, quite a while. The scriptures refer to it depending upon which translation you use, as the first city or as a leading city. King James, I believe, even refers to it as the chief city. But it's not the chief city. Uh, Thessalonica would be the chief city of, uh, of Macedonia. But it was the first city or leading city from the standpoint of celebrity or notoriety. Uh, Philippi had been... Uh, built or rebuilt about 400 years prior to this time by Philip, who was the father of Alexander the Great, and he had named the city after him, after himself. It was also the scene of the great battle in which uh, Brutus and Cassius were defeated by Mark Antony. Uh, so a rather uh, well-known area. By the way, you'll want to keep in mind and notice as we do, these, do this study, that Paul, it seems to me, tried to leverage the great cities of influence uh, with the gospel of Christ. Uh, he, he didn't, not only didn't avoid big cities, but he would, when he would go into those areas, for obvious reasons, I think, he would, he would do all he could to, to, to uh, have a successful tour there. And, and just naturally, if you stop and think about it, the practical implications of that are that it would be a lot of people coming and going, uh, visiting, uh, and so any work that was done in cities of that nature would have far-reaching results, you see. And so it would be a way of, 
it, it might be in this sense that, uh, that, that Paul refers to the fact later that the gospel had been preached to all the world. Uh, in the sense that it had been preached widely enough and in places so that spread by the mouths of others, you know, the, it had, had wide, uh, wide circulation. Um, he was anxious for an opportunity to, uh, to open up the message of the gospel in Philippi, but unlike most of the places he attended, there was no synagogue there. And so what were they to do? Well, somehow or another, they, uh, they learned of, a, of a, a group of women who met on the, each Sabbath on the banks of the Ganges River, ran through the city there, and, uh, and they would meet on, on the Sabbath day for prayer. And so Paul and, and his group go out to, to that place and join them. One of the women was named Lydia, a merchant, um, and she and her household believed and, uh, and were baptized. And uh, following that, she uh, encouraged the missionaries to come and stay at her home, which they did. Lydia then becomes the first convert to Christianity that's recorded, that we know about, in, on European uh, soil. Um, sometime later, or, or, or maybe even while they were, maybe the first time while they were going out that time for that for that place of prayer. Um, they were accosted, I guess you would say, by a slave girl, a, a girl who was uh, uh, owned by or kept by a group of people who used her to make money. She had a spirit of divination. She had a, uh, an evil spirit. And, uh, and, and somehow or another, they would use her uh, the things that she would say and add, and, uh, and add to that the superstitious nature of, of, of people of that day. And, and they, they made money off of this girl. Well, seeing Paul and his group, she said in verse, verses 16 and 17 of chapter 16, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. So just like we read in the various records of the gospel, uh, we learn that these people uh, with uh, demon-possessed people would, 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 when speaking of Christ, would speak the truth about it. And uh, she kept doing this. And uh, so Paul uh, couldn't tolerate that any longer. You might ask, why would it bother him, uh, 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 her doing that, um, if, uh, if she's telling the truth? Well, I can tell you at least one reason. You remember back in uh, Matthew, what is it, chapter 12, when, when, and when Jesus talks about the sin against the Holy Spirit? Um, those people on that occasion who saw Jesus performed miracles. What did they say about him? I've always been intrigued by that. I believe it's Matthew's account that says, that reads, this, and this is the Jewish leader speaking, this man doth cast out demons. They didn't deny what he was doing. They couldn't. They'd be thought fools. People could see it with their own eyes. 
This man doth cast out demons, but by the power of Beelzebub. So there were some already who would use that argument. He's in league with the devil. So if they allowed this woman to go about uh, saying this thing, even though what she was saying is the truth, then certainly some would, 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 would connect or, or come up with the idea that they were in league with this sort of thing. But anyway, they cast out this uh, demon. And of course, when, the, when this happened, the owners of this girl become upset. And they bring uh, Paul and Silas to the magistrates and incited the crowd against them. And they were stripped, beaten, flogged, and thrown into prison with their feet made fast in stocks. This is verses 19 through 24. And about midnight, as you know, Paul and Silas were praying and singing. A great earthquake um, shook the prison, opening all the prison doors and the, and the uh, bonds on all of the prisoners uh, were loosed. And uh, the jailer running in and, and seeing that all of his prisoners were gone was about to take his own life because he knew he'd be held responsible and be killed anyway. And so Paul said, don't do that. We're all here. And the man says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And I'm sure he didn't know exactly what he was asking at that time. But he, he knew something uh, had happened that was extraordinary, and he knew that he was at the mercy, in a sense, of Paul, and so what, what must I do? And the Bible says that Paul said to him, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and that you shall be saved. And then he spoke unto him the word of the Lord. You see, he didn't know anything about Christ. And, and he really didn't know what he's asking. He just knew that he had been delivered from an awful fate. So what shall I do? And Paul said, believe on Christ. But how could he do that without knowing about him? So then he proceeded to speak unto him the word, after which both he and his household not only believed, but what? Were baptized. And uh, following that, he took Paul and his uh, company, washed their stripes, and fed them. The next morning, these uh, authorities sent, and they were put back in prison. The next morning, the authorities sent and said, release these people. And uh, when he was told that, Paul said, no, we're Roman citizens. They put us in there against the law, and if they, they need to come and get us out. So, so when the word reached them that they had imprisoned Roman uh, citizens, they were very apologetic and, uh, and uh, they brought them out. They visited with Lydia uh, and, and others, uh, Christians there for a while. And then from, from Philippi, uh, Paul and Silas and Timothy uh, go on to Amphipolis, Apollonia, uh, before reaching Thessalonica. It seems like Luke probably stayed in Philippi uh, for a time. Um, they did have a synagogue in, in uh, Thessalonica, and for three consecutive Sabbaths, Paul went in and reasoned among the Jewish men there uh, that talked to them about Jesus being the Christ. And some of the Jews, we're told, believed, and also a great number of Greeks, not a few leading women, but uh, the Jewish element who had rejected Christ incited a mob. This is something we'll see over and over, and we've already seen. And uh, 
They accused him of things that were not true. They said, this man is promoting another king besides Caesar, and, he, and these people are turning the world upside down. Um, and so Paul and Silas were hid, and they were not able to find them, so they arrested Jason, who apparently was serving as their host at the time. Paul and Silas uh, then slipped away to Berea, and it was in Berea, you recall, that uh, we're told that these people were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they what? Read the scripture daily to see whether or not the things that were being said were true. Um, again, um, this, the unhappiness of the Jews caused them to have to leave again, and so a group of people uh, escort uh, Paul out of Thessalonica and accompany him down to uh, Athens and sent word back by them as they returned home to tell um, uh, uh, Silas and Timothy to join him in Athens. Those had been left there. And, uh, and so he, he goes into the city of Athens. This is an interesting place. Paul said in verse 16 of chapter 17, while Paul was waiting for them, for uh, Silas and Timothy to join him, uh, in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicureans and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him and some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divin uh, divinities and, and because uh, he was preaching Jesus Christ, they said this because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. Um, and then in verse 19, they took him and brought him to the Areopagus saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting. The Areopagus was a rocky mound uh, that had steps cut in it, something I guess like Stone Mountain, but not nearly that high. And uh, on the top of it, seats were placed in, in open air. And uh, it was a place where judges called Areopagites held court and trials for criminals and also where they considered weighty uh, religious uh, questions. And so, um, but this was, he was not being judged here as a criminal. This was a rather informal affair. One of the reasons we know that is because the words that are are said there in connection with it, it says that uh, the Athenians and strangers dwelling there spent their time in nothing else but telling and hearing something new. So it was more from curiosity than anything else that they wanted to hear them. I don't know that they really were expecting to benefit much by what he uh, had to say. And Paul began by saying this, for I passed along and observed the objects of your worship. I found also an altar of this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. In other words, after erecting altars to every God that they, could, that they knew about or could imagine, they erected one more to the unknown God, as if to say, we want to make sure... We're not leaving anybody out, and perhaps there's one out there we don't know about, so we want to worship the one we don't know about. And uh, there were a lot of, lot of uh, altars in, in uh, 
Athens. One, one satirist of that day wrote, it's easier, it's easier, he said, to find an altar in Athens than it is a man. So there must have been lots of them um, in that city. Uh, so Paul went on and he said, I want to tell you about this God that you don't know about. He's not made with uh, hands. He's not made of gold, silver, or stone. Um, he doesn't originate from the imagination of man. And he went on and preached. And the philosophers and, and all those that heard him listened with interest for a while until he got to the point where he was talking about the resurrection of Christ. And then some of them began to scoff. But it says in verse 34, Some men joined him and believed, and among, among whom were Dionysius, uh, Dionysius who was uh, an Areopagite, he was one of those judges, and also a, a woman named Damaris. And uh, uh, so there were some converts uh, in Athens. There's no trace in Scripture following this, though, of the church in Athens, and it seems that that city and those philosophers and so forth were such that it was not a, it was not a very ripe city for the, for the gospel of Christ. He leaves Athens and he goes to Corinth, which was the seat of government for Achaia. Uh, he meets there Priscilla and Aquila, and uh, they were Jews who had recently been uh, ordered out of Rome by Claudius, uh, the uh, uh, emperor. And uh, uh, that's mentioned in verses 1 through 3 of Acts 18. They were tent makers as well as Paul, and they joined together in that, in that trade while they were there to help support themselves. Um, Silas and Timothy joined uh, Paul there in Corinth, and they stayed in the city for a year and a half, preaching and teaching. And the Bible says in verse 8 of 18, Many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized, including Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue. And uh, eventually, uh, uh, trouble was stirred up there as well, and uh, he was taken before Gallio. Uh, who was the proconsul at that particular time, he decided that it was an internal matter having to do with their own religion. He didn't want to deal with it. And uh, interestingly, on this one occasion, the hearts of these unconverted people were more with Paul than they were with his accusers. And they took Sosthenes, who was apparently the new ruler of the synagogue, had taken Crispus' place, and they did to him what he had intended uh, that to be uh, done to Paul. They, they uh, 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 persecute or beat him. Uh, okay, I knew that was going to ring. Uh, okay, so they leave Corinth, uh, go to Sincrea, uh, which was the home of Phoebe, you remember, who is said to have been a servant of the church there, so there was a church in that seaport town. He sails from there to Ephesus, uh, taking uh, uh, Aquila and Priscilla with him. He doesn't stay long. He goes into the synagogue. He reasons with him. And they want him to stay longer, but he says, I can't, but I will return if the Lord wills. And he leaves, leaving Aquila and Priscilla in Ephesus. And remember that, because we'll come back to them next week. And he sails away from Ephesus back to Caesarea 
and goes up to Jerusalem. We already talked about that. We, we it doesn't say he goes. It says he goes up to the uh, the church, but it's not in Caesarea. His whole intent was to visit Jerusalem, and so he goes up to Jerusalem, up in elevation, up to the capital, visits the church there, and then he goes back to Antioch of Syria. And uh, with that, we've completed in a hurry, and with little detail, the uh, second missionary journey. Of Paul. Wish we had time for questions, but we don't. <laughs> Thank you.